Welcome to the KVB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis, as always. I never stop being me. And this is episode 11 of season 3. Now, we've got a couple of very diverse subjects today, but both ultimately come down to the day-to-day running of your showroom. First up, we're looking at water labels. Yes, I know we only did it a few episodes ago, but last week the government announced that it is introducing a mandatory water efficiency label on products. And that could not only make the retailer liable for displaying it, explaining it, and only selling products certified by it, it may ultimately lead to the banning of products that use too much water. I'm getting all the current info from BMA CEO Tom Reynolds and Unified Water Label Managing Director Yvonne Orgill. Then we're looking into the continuation of the buy appointment only scheme past the end of lockdown. Has this system, forced on many retailers by social distancing rules, turned out to be a game changer for how they operate in the future? I'm talking to Richie Hanley from Ability Kitchens in Chester and Joe Geddes from Kitchens by JS Geddes in Kilmarnock. But first... It's another shameless request to get more subscribers for this very podcast. Lots of you listen via your desktop browser, which is absolutely fine, of course. But the best way to get the most out of it is to subscribe using a free podcast app on your phone, such as Apple Podcasts. That way you can listen on the go and get notified of the latest episodes as soon as they go live. And don't let the word subscribe put you off. It's all free and it's simply pressing a button. Just search KBB Review, or one word, and you'll find us. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a review to encourage others to give us a try. Okay, so let's talk about government moves to make water efficiency labels mandatory on products that use water, obviously. So what does it mean for those that sell, make, or distribute those products? Well, if anyone knows, it's my two guests here. First up, we have Tom Reynolds, who is the CEO of the Bathroom Manufacturers Association. Hello, Tom. Hi, Andy. Hello, sir. And we have Yvonne Orgill, the Managing Director of the Unified Water Label Association. Hello, Yvonne. Hello, Andrew. Now, Yvonne, where are you at the moment? Are you in the office? I'm at home looking out through the window. Um, the sun is shining. It's quite pleasant, really. And, and here's the big question, Tom. Where are you? Well, I'm in the equally pleasant surroundings of a travel lodge car park off the M1. See, it's glamour. It's all glamour in this job. Of course it is. Okay, so let's start with you, Yvonne. You were on this very podcast only a few weeks ago, warning the industry that a mandatory labelling scheme might be on its way. And in fact, that's what you've been saying for the years that you've been developing your label. So how are you feeling about it all today? Well, quite positive, actually. I know it's it's come as a bit of a shock to many people who didn't actually listen to what we've been saying for decades. Morally, it's the right thing to do. There are too many people, not enough water, supply and demand. The water industry hasn't got off lightly either. They're going to have to um, plug their leaks on a much robust programme. So, yeah, I'm hopeful that the government has got some common sense in there somewhere and will actually use the tool that the industry has spent years developing uh, to label all bathroom products but as we all know the devil is in the detail and it's what do you actually label well that's right we'll talk about that bit in a minute but i think it's worth tom if we can just give us some wider context of this because the water label bit is only a part of what the government was talking about so what's the aim of all of this stuff well the the simple fact is as uh, yvonne's already said there's uh, a gap in the the level of water resource available and the demand that we're going to have in, in years to come. It seems a bit counterintuitive talking about that in Britain because we're obviously renowned for rainfall and grey skies, but they they have 
been warning uh, about the, these issues for some time and the, the environment agency's gone as far as to describe it as the jaws of death um that you know we're, we're going to be facing serious water sh- water shortages within a couple of decades if we're not careful so that that's the context um like Yvonne I'm feeling quite upbeat by um the announcements yesterday um there's Lots in there. Yeah, of course, of course water labelling is the, the big ticket item that's of interest to our sector. But there's lots in there around uh, water company obligations to kind of manage their, their leakage. And and more than that, there's a big opportunity for our sector because they, the government are going to set out a roadmap in the next year um, on retrofit of water efficient fittings within our, the domestic landscape. That that's a, a big market opportunity for our sector. Okay, well, we'll touch on that in a minute too, I think. But let's um, let's discuss the word mandatory, I think, Yvonne, if we can. What are you interpreting mandatory to actually mean in practicality? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Andrew, because I haven't really got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I can only surmise from the discussions that we've had over the, the last few years is that all water-using bathroom products will have to carry a label. And the label will depict how much water per litre, per minute, volume, flush is going to be used by the user. That That's what we can guess at this moment in time. But we all know within our sector that we purchase products as components and put it together. So does the hose, the handset, the headset and the valve all carry different labelling? This is the detail that has yet got to be um, discussed, fought over, decided what is the right right way forward. Now, I guess there's a hope that the government will just simply adopt the water label that clearly you have developed over the years. But there's no guarantee of that, is there? There's, they haven't given any indications that they will simply just take on the existing scheme. There's no firm indication as much as they haven't actually come out with the words that we're going to use the water label. What they've said is that they want to discuss how the label could actually become the mandatory aspect in the UK market. The UK government is fully aware that a lot of the products in the UK are imported, uh, a lot from Germany, Italy um, and further afield. They don't want dual labelling half of the product going into Europe carrying one label and half coming the other way carrying a different label because that could mean complexity and confusion in the marketplace Uh, so they are being pragmatic in that way we're just very hopeful and we will just continue to work with government to find the right solution that delivers the message that the government is seeking I've also said for many decades product alone won't save a drop of water its behaviour yeah, but is there a danger, though, that they might come to you and say, well, we like 75% of your label, Yvonne, but could you just change the other 25% to what we want? And we're open for that discussion, Andrew. We can't close our minds to it. Our label perhaps is is as best as we can possibly get it. Uh, when it becomes mandatory under regulation, then we have to be open up to, to change, and that change has to be acceptable to the market as well as to the government. Okay, so let's look at some actual practicalities here, Tom. You know, I'm a retailer. I sell kitchens and bathrooms from my showroom. What does this mean for me? What will I have to do to comply with this? And I guess the important bit here is what are the circumstances under the, under which I can fall foul of the scheme? 
Well, at this stage, Andrew, it sounds like a cop-out, but the, the simple answer is we simply don't know until some of the detail behind the, the really high-level announcements are unveiled. Uh, and that that is only going to come with time. I understand they need to do kind of further consultation to, to define some of these things. But the, the, the objective of making uh, any labelling scheme mandatory is that it's visible to the consumer to help them make informed choices. So I think we can expect to see display at point of sale as a, a part of the, the mandatory component. I suppose I'd like to see a signal to the marketplace even before any regulation comes before Parliament to say this is what we'd like to see, the unified water label as a means of compliance with this new mandatory requirement. So that you know the products that are already placed on this label, which are by and large the, the majority of the products produced by uh, BMA's members, so that we, we can start to kind of hit the ground running uh, and get ahead of the, the actual legal enforcement of this. Manufacturers are, are already doing a lot to get their products listed on the label. We just need to see it uh, and uh, we can start to reap the benefits of better informed consumers you know, before we're legally obliged to. But is there, a, I know the answer is I don't know, but is one of the outcomes of this that if you are if you are selling products that is not carrying a label or does not qualify for for the label, that you could get a knock on the door for some trading standards or whatever it is, uh, fining you, telling you to shut down, chucking it all in the bin, is that a danger? Well, you would assume that there'll be a, a certain amount of grace with the introduction of any new requirement. But yeah, that, that is a, a plausible course of action if someone is found to be repeatedly non-complying with any new requirement. I mean, we have to see what the enforcement regime looks like. The existing rule set around bathroom products already doesn't have thorough market surveillance. And I, in my time at the BMA and Yvonne before me, have long been saying that we need to improve market surveillance in this country to to ensure compliance with the existing rule set. If we're adding more rules, even more so that's the case. Let's be honest here. Most retailers selling the bigger brands are going to be absolutely fine with this. They might have to sort their point of sale out or whatever it is and and, and up their own knowledge on, on how to explain this label to, to customers. I guess, how can I put this in the, in the sort of very vaguest possible way? Some of the biggest online dealers, perhaps, who are much more own brand in, in the way that they sell might be the ones that struggle with this a little bit more. There's got to be a level playing field, right? And yeah, you know, that that goes for independent retailers. It goes for the the online retailers, and it goes for merchants too. Everyone's got to be playing by the same rules, and that's certainly something that we'll be kind of making clear to government as they flesh out these proposals. So, Yvonne, I've read this statement now several times, right? And every time I read it, it seems to get more vague somehow, uh, no matter how many times I go through it. But one of the things that sticks out for me is this uh, proposal to uh, develop, and it's the, the word roadmap is everywhere at the moment, isn't it? But to develop a roadmap towards greater water efficiency in new developments and retrofits, including the exploration of revised building regulations. What are we defining retrofit as? Retrofit will be the existing housing stock and building stock that changes its current product into a more efficient product. And there lies a whole bag of complexity. 
Um, it isn't straightforward. We have different pressures in the marketplace. We have different homes with different heating and drainage systems. And they all has to be taken into account. Uh, I've read that statement so many times, Andrew. It's uh, unbelievable. My fear, and you've already highlighted it, is uh, it's the roadmap. The label is the beginning of water efficiency journey, not the end. That would imply, therefore, that any new kitchen or bathroom is a retrofit. If, as long as it's in an existing home, yes, it, it is. So they might what they're proposing here, if I'm reading or, or interpreting a level of vagueness here, is that they're saying they might revise building regulations so that any retrofit will have to legally be required to use water label products. It will, but it could be done by restriction of sale of products in the marketplace. Yeah, because so much of other bit, I know you don't know the answer, you're not the minister, unfortunately, but so much of this is about encouraging uh, people to do things and to perhaps suggesting to them that the best thing might be to be. But if they change the building regs, they've got to be done. Yes, it means that all new build, um, whether that's uh, domestic or commercial, will have to comply with building regulations um, and restriction of uh, what products they can and cannot install. But but that to me says, and again, I know you don't know the answer, that you're effectively banning certain products that use too much water. Well, that, that could be a possibility in the future. I think government isn't at that stage at the moment. What the government is trying to do is to get on the journey of water efficiency, use the industry's tool, the unified water label, to, as Tom says, uh, to allow people to make an informed choice at point of purchase, rely on merchants, installers and retailers to explain what water efficiency means and to promote to the consumer, the end user, of uh, how to use products properly and to save water, which ultimately will save energy, will reduce carbons and save the householder some money along the way. Can I come in on this one, Andrew? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, building regulations really comes into play for, for new build housing and you know RMI where the, it's a, an extension or something like that, where there's a new bathroom or kitchen going in. I think when they talk about retrofit, they're talking about installations in in its widest sense and not necessarily applying the, the full building regulations to all retrofits. But, you know, we're, as, as we've been articulating for a long time, it's no good only addressing water efficiency in that tiny slither of the market that is new build. You know, there are 27 million homes connected to water supply in, in the UK and we have to start addressing the really high consumption products that exist out there within those 27 million homes. And that's a big opportunity for the bathroom industry because we've got the solutions there already. And, you know, there are some extremely well-performing products that will satisfy customers that will lower their water use. So um, in that roadmap, I know we're going to be forcefully campaigning for incentivization in the same way that there's incentivization around new heating systems and insulation and solar power and so on. It can't just all be stick. There has to be some carrot as well. Uh, and I think there is the opportunity within this consultation that's coming within the next year, 18 months, to, to kind of come together as an industry and make that case. Yes, and I think that I think you're absolutely right with that, and certainly that's been going on with things like system size for for a very long time. But I suppose the danger is if you interpret this at its extreme, those big drench luxury shower heads that people have 
effectively will not meet building regulations. I mean, that's pretty much what it says, or one interpretation of what it says at the very least. So there'll be a bit of a rush on them before they come in. But the devil is in the detail in all of these things, aren't there? But there are real practical effects of, of this right at the at the showroom level. There will be, undoubtedly. But, uh, you know, as we keep saying, the devil's in the detail and we need to see exactly what they mean by these kind of quite general statements in the ministerial statement yesterday, what that means at a really granular level. And that detail's not forthcoming yet. And I don't think DEFRA intends to introduce a whole load of uh, rules and, and ban any products without doing plenty of consultation with the industry. Well, here, here is the big question. We can get this scheme and the regulations come in, but they're only useful if they're enforced in some way. So, I mean, you've looked into this a long time, Yvonne. Who is going to police this and how? Well, I think uh, the market surveillance structure that we currently have in the UK is broken. And there's a number of reasons why. Lack of uh, investment, too many consumer products. If it's the water utilities, then there's there's another issue there. Do they have the resource? It's a bit like eco-design on whitewares. Who's policing that? The market itself actually polices it because competitors don't like to be outdone by another competitor who's not using the label correctly. So, again, we keep coming back to the, the lack of detail at this moment in time. And I'd love for you to invite Tom and I back, perhaps, say, in six months' time when we understand a little bit more of the detail and, and the path that it's going down to discuss it. what are the implications if we'd have all got behind the unified water label, European water label, as it was previously known, then would we be in this state today? I'm not so sure we would. I think government would have said industries committed to water efficiency. Water efficiency today is a huge topic and one that we have to take on board and embrace. And Tom's right. Don't keep using the stick. Drop some carrots. It's, it's an opportunity. And I think we have to look for that opportunity, not as a negative. And Tom, let's round this off here. What about timescales? Have you got any idea when we might see some of this stuff come through? We'll know more within the next month or two on what the timescales are realistically going to be. But I think you can expect to see consultation throughout 2022 and any new rules will require an implementation period. So we're looking at a couple of years at least at the moment. So that gives everybody a chance to off- offload all those big showers. Tom, Yvonne, thank you so much for your time. As you say, we'll get back to on this in six months' time and see if there's any details being filled into the into the gaps here. But uh, you know, as with so many of these things, let's just see what happens next. But until then, thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Now, one of the biggest changes forced upon KBB retailers during lockdown was the need to limit the number of visitors to the showroom. And many introduced a by appointment only system to meet those requirements. But now that lockdown is coming to an end, many retailers are saying they want to continue with those appointments where possible. So let's talk through the reasoning behind that with a couple of top retailers. First up, we have Richie Hanley from Ability Kitchens in Chester. Hello, Richie. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's nice and sunny today. Uh, and then we have Joe Geddes from Kitchens by JS Geddes in Kilmarnock up in Scotland. Hello, Joe. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well. How's, how's it up in Scotland today? I'm assuming it's pouring down with rain. It, how dare you? <laughs> sunny in Scotland today. So, yeah, all bets are off. It's, um, yeah, it's good. This is that new normal everyone's talking about, I think. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, preempt anything. <laughs> so, look... Um, 
Let's start with a bit of background, as we always do on your businesses. So, Richie, give us a brief overview of uh, Ability Kitchens, where you are, what you do, that kind of thing. We're just a manufacturing company with a showroom based in Chester. We've been established over 25 years. We have a number of trade customers and we do an awful lot on, on the mid to high end sector on retail work. Right. And how about you, Joe? Um, so, yeah, we were, Kitchens Bajayas gave us, we were established 37 years ago. We retail in the high end of the kitchen market. We have a nine display studio in Kilmarnock, about half an hour from Glasgow, and also a distribution centre there as well. And probably our most important kind of values and things are our people. So we have a wide range of trades from installers to order processors, designers, surveyors, etc. Well, thank you very much. I think most people in the kitchen retail market have, have heard of you, obviously. Let's start with you here. Just give us a quick overview of how business is for you at the moment. Are you still busy? Is everything still overwhelming? And what's going on with you? Yeah, I think um, we are very busy just now, which is good. Um, we've certainly condensed a lot of work into these, uh, I suppose, remaining months of the year and that uh, we were closed for install at the start of the year. Um, I think footfall is good just now, um, very steady, which is encouraging. So overall, absolutely can't complain. It is, it's good, it's where we need it to be. And how about you, Richard? Do you concur with that? Yeah, pretty much. We, we've seen a steady, steady footfall, and more and more people wanting to make appointments via appointment only. Yeah, we're pretty much in the same boat. Okay, so everything's still very positive. Everything's still uh, very busy and buoyant, which is fantastic, of course. But let's cast our minds back to the first lockdown when there was so much more uncertainty. When did the whole by appointment only sort of concept kick in for you, Richie? I think it was after we came back after the first lockdown when people still didn't quite know what the rules were and what, what we could or couldn't do. Zoom meetings took off a lot there and designing from afar, really. Well, and how about you, Joe? When when did it first become a thing? You know, you're you're a face to face designer. That's one of your roles there. When did it first become a, a noticeable thing for you that this was how you were going to operate? So I think, yeah, as Richie said, certainly after the first lockdown, there was a lot of uncertainty with different tier systems working in Scotland, and obviously our understanding of the rules had to be up to scratch the whole time of what we could and couldn't do. Um, so, yep, that was developed and really has stuck uh, since last May-June time. We've been working um, in and around that system. Slightly digress from it. I'm sure we'll get into that. Right. So let's get into, as you were doing this system, that was kind of forced upon you, really, when the, when the first lockdowns happened. When did you start thinking to yourself, actually, this is working. This is a really much better way of doing this than we have been doing it before. When did the advantages of it really start becoming apparent, do you think? I think very early on it became really apparent. I think one of the things, certainly um, in our business, is we always have really strived to try and be valued as designers and as a business. I think that kitchen designers aren't always valued by the consumer. And we've always had that struggle to really get that value from them as architects do, as you know, structural engineers do, etc. So I think that we put this appointment only system in it, it was a real step forward in getting uh, the value into our service I think it was really encouraging and gave a lot of a lot more onus onto the client to be a bit more loyal to us right and what about you Richie when did you start thinking to yourself actually this is a much better way of working 
pretty much similar time, really. We noticed that clients were more engaged with us when we were on Zoom calls, Zoom chats. It was a more one-to-one focus base. And, and you got the general feeling from the client that they did want to engage with you and from a very, very early point, rather than people making appointments to come to the showroom or just wandering in and looking around and, and just asking general questions. People were generally more focused. Further on on the journey, more from the design point of view, because they've done a lot of research themselves. Oh, right. So one of the differences there is that you're saying is when they actually come to speak to you, they're armed with much more information than perhaps they would have been done several years ago. Pretty much, yeah. They had a clearer understanding of what they, they were looking for. And as designers, it's up to us to put that into practice on on the CAD, really. And so what it was meaning, we were turning jobs around a lot quicker. So I would say we were turning jobs around two, three, four weeks quicker than what we would have done if we weren't operating by this system. Right, and did you find that as well, Joe, that those customers are just that bit more focused when they know they've got an appointment to attend and they, they want to get as much information shared in that appointment as possible rather than just drifting in and out? Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. I think, as Richie said, they are coming equipped for the appointment. You know, they've been on Pinterest, they've been on social media, they've done their research appliances they've done the research on the company and I think that now clients feel like time is more precious we have been very uh, you know as um, as humans we've been very time poor for many years and um, we're very busy we're juggling a lot of things so I think when people are committing the time to come and see you they want to get the most out of that appointment most definitely and do you think there is a definite business argument for this I mean does it literally lead to more conversions if you like I think it's a a tricky one because I was having a a think about this question earlier this morning. Um, And although I I want to play a bit of devil's advocate here, although we are totally for the appointment only system, I, I have to say that we will not reject someone that comes to the studio. We're very lucky in a sense that we are not a high traffic studio. We are not somewhere where people just drop into. We are a destination because of our location. And so we don't tend to get a lot of casual browsers coming in. But what I would say is that if someone comes unannounced to the door, we have to service them in a sense that we are retailers. We are here to sell kitchens and we don't have the luxury to turn people away. So we will, you know, we're as we said earlier, we're really encouraging the appointment only. We're encouraging to phone ahead, which most clients are doing. But I would say there has been a handful of people that have come unannounced and we won't turn them away. So it's, it's striking a balance between what we want Um, and what's realistic for the business. I I suppose this is the point, Richie, isn't it? I can see all the advantages for you, the retailer, if you like, but if you're a consumer that has had a look at your website, seen an advert, whatever it is, and has thought to themselves, well, we'll pop along there on Saturday morning and just see what they've got, perhaps this isn't as advantageous for them. Totally agree with that statement. As what Joe said, if somebody comes in unannounced, we'll service them and, and we'll go through the whole process that we would do on a, an appointment-only basis. But I think they're becoming, consumers are coming wiser to the fact that they need to phone ahead because they're, they're being told to. So they're not just wandering in. And, and I think that is, is the key to us as a retailer is that we get to spend more time focusing on the, the clients that we've got on an appointment-only basis rather than spending two hours with somebody who's just wandered in and you never see them again or hear from them again. 
how do you communicate this in advance then to people? How do you encourage them, should we say, rather than force them? How do you encourage them to make an appointment rather than just wander in on a Saturday, on a Saturday morning? We've got banners on our website. We post regularly on social media how to get in touch with us. And, and that seems to be getting through to consumers. Right, and that's them doing their research again, isn't it, before they come and see you? And what about you, Joe? Is there like a sign on the door? I mean, how do you do it? Yeah, I mean, we we have a doorbell system anyway. I think that just kind of promotes more of a luxury environment. I do think, though, that one thing that the government has done well is that it's, it's sort of formed with the public this uh, requirement to know in advance what your, your rules are when you're going somewhere. So most people now don't, certainly in Scotland, we're not turning up to restaurants without booking. We aren't going, you know, uh, to browse in a car garage without phoning ahead to see what their system is. Um, so I think that, yeah, I totally agree, as, as Richie said, um, with all websites and banners, that type of thing. But I think consumers are very savvy on uh, knowing that this is what they should be doing before they go somewhere. And how far ahead are you booking appointments for? I mean, if I, could I book an appointment with you for tomorrow? Or are you, when people phone up and say, can I come and see you, if, if you've got to do it in two weeks' time, four weeks' time, what's the, what's the kind of time frame that you have to use? Yeah, if you're if you're phoning up for an appointment tomorrow, Andrew, I'd be checking what your budget was first, to be honest, <laughs> before I would be going ahead with that appointment booking. No, but I mean, we'll work really as quickly as the consumer wants. Um, in a sense, we've got four designers here um, that can service them. So someone will have an hour in their day or they can put aside other things because inevitably the the client are our focus. New clients are our new business. So someone can book, you know, tomorrow or weeks in advance. We are guided by the consumer. And what about you, Richie? Obviously, timescales are an enormous issue at the moment with, with just with the fitting end of the of the process, booking in when you can actually get someone's kitchen in there. So so how quickly can I get an appointment with you? Again, pretty similar to Joe. We've got we've got a couple of designers that, that could find an hour within the day. But as Joe said, you'd be asking for the budget first. But we'd do an initial 15, 20 minute telephone conversation with them or consultation with them uh, to find out what they're looking for, what, what their expectations are, and to see if we can meet them or exceed them. And it's at that stage, then we invite them for a second consultation where we can do a, a full design with them. Right. Okay. And and how when when they come in for that appointment, how long are you giving them? Do you have literally a book, I'm assuming, or a calendar on the computer or whatever that that you, you can mark in? Mr. And Mrs. Smith are coming in at ten. Is it an hour, half an hour? How long do you give them? We provisionally book in two and a half hours, two and a half three hours, right. and that gives us time to to sanitise the showroom once they leave as well. And how about you, Joe? Probably a wee bit less time, Andrew, to be honest, but I agree Rich, with Richie that um, we, we do that initial telephone conversation because it kind of gives us a good gauge on the type of client they are, how much detail that they like to go over um, and what their priority is from the meeting. So I would say about an hour, an hour and a half, that half an hour for the sanitising, as, as Richie said. What comes across here, I think, is is that we'll, we'll end up with a kind of hybrid model here, won't we? Because there will always be people who turn up at the door that that was just going to happen. And, you, and as you say, you want to make sure that they're looked after as well. But you have this kind of set process that dedicates time to people. Uh, and obviously, that's that's what they want in those situations. They want someone to look for them. Do you know what? I, I think if I'm being devil's advocate here, is there a danger that by being this bit more exclusive, you know, you've got to make an appointment to get any sort of length of time with people that 
you're perpetuating the idea that independent showrooms are sort of daunting, unapproachable places. They are uncomfortable places to kind of approach and knock on the door. Ooh, it's a, that's a bit of a hard one. I, I always like to think that we are approachable. Um, I think people get a sense of that when they come in. But I also think what we are trying to promote is that both the clients and our time is valuable. If you want us to provide you with a certain level of service, a certain level of design, then you need to commit time to us. We are unlike the sheds that we aren't generating you know, design after design of very standard basic layouts. We are doing something that is more bespoke and it is more geared towards a certain type of discerning client. So I hope we we never come across that way. And I think that COVID in a sense has really propelled this to be the norm for clients to recognise within the industry that that, that the, the appointment is what they, they would um, have to do. What do you think, Richie? Because sometimes people just like to browse, don't they? Some people just like to look around because they might be thinking of a kitchen in six months' time and they just want to have a quick look because they, they've driven past you at some point and they, they like what they saw through the window. Does it make it an approachable experience, do you think? I would have to agree with Joe in what she said. I hope we don't seem unapproachable. And the door, we, we do have a, an open-door policy. But it's a difficult one, that, Andrew, to be honest. I'd like to say, no, it doesn't make us that type of environment, but it could be perceived by certain members of the public to be like that. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Particularly, I think, if you're a high street retailer, if there is a passing footfall that do occasionally pop in just because they like the look of it. I suppose it's how long people give themselves in the preparation for a kitchen project. Some people turn up with all the ideas and they know exactly what they want and they want to sit down with someone for two hours and talk about it. But there's always going to be people that are just at the very start of their journey and have decided to pop in just to see what's around. And they will buy a kitchen six months later or 12 months later and you want to make sure that they walk out of there wanting to do it with you. Yeah, pretty much do you get a lot of passing footfall, Joe, where your showroom is? Um, not really, to be honest, uh, Andrew. And I think with the the geographical way that Scotland's set out, our main competitors can be, you know, a couple of hours away from us. So people really do commit the time to travel around the country to get exactly what they want. We don't do, uh, I would say, marginally almost no business in the town that we are in. We're predominantly in central uh, Scotland now. So uh, we are lucky in a sense that we don't have the casual browsers coming in. And I don't want to say it's time wasting because as you said, it may be a project that's, you know, six months down the line, but people that tend to come in and see us are serious buyers. But you have done in the past, and I don't know whether you still do, a kind of concession thing in a couple of other places, haven't you? I'm sure you did something in a garden centre or something, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we have had, we do pop-ups at times. Uh, We have another one at the moment where we are in a local estate agent. um, And it is just a pop-up display. And it's just another way of advertising. I think we go down the route of social media. We need to be very conscious of what new routes that we can take. So that one does increase our footfall greatly, but it's maybe not certainly people who are going to buy a kitchen right there and then. We're, We're almost just planting a seed for later on. 
Yes, I suppose that's my point really, is how do you capture the casual browser while also taking advantage clearly of all the the pros of running a by appointment only system? And you have to kind of consider each bit of the consumer market, don't you? What about you, Richie? What are you doing in terms of your sort of wider marketing of things? Do you market yourselves as a pop-in and seals, we're just on the high street type retailer, or are you marketing yourselves as much more of an experiential thing? I would say it's a hybrid of both, really. We don't advertise a great deal of them through social media. The majority of our retail work comes from recommendation. So we're not, even though we're on the high street, we don't get a great deal of footfall throughout the week. It would mainly be on, on a weekend. So we try and give the customer the experience that they require of what they're looking for and go through the process and explaining how we do things and the way we do things. It's so interesting, this, because it really does require, as you say, a a sort of hybrid model of appointments and acknowledging people who who are turning up. And I think it is one of the things that retailers have learned and will change because of this pandemic. I think there are a few key things that people will carry forward, and this is clearly the main one. But I think it will kind of develop into into a whole new model rather than just being a very sort of binary by appointment only or go away. What do you think, Joe? And yeah, it's definitely, I think it is going to be a crossover. I think as a, you know, an independent KBB retailer, we need to evolve. We need to uh, change. We need to work with the times. We need to adapt to what the client needs the whole time. So, yeah, I mean, we're very open going forward to change. And I think that that is where we have real advantage compared to the sheds, for example. You know, these are massive companies who, to put in a new process or a new procedure, it takes a lot of money there's a lot of marketing involved to it there's a lot of advertising and there's a lot of time spent on training staff whereas being in uh, you know the, the independent retailing sector I think it's very easy for us if we want to implement a new process if we want to implement a new procedure trial something we can do that very easily and very cost effectively and I think we're at real advantage to be able to do that. So, yeah, going forward, where we stand is very open, very open to um, the constant change, definitely. Well, look, we could talk about this all day, I think, because and it, and it will continue to change, and it'll be interesting to come back in six months and see what's see what the model is then. But look, thank you so much, both of you, for your time. It's so interesting, uh, and like I say, we'll come back and, re- and revisit it. But thank you for sparing us a few minutes today. Thanks, Thanks, Andrew. I've got got appointments, so I need to go. Quite right, too. Go and do your day job. That's it for this episode. Lots of stuff jammed into this one, so huge thanks to Tom, Yvonne, Richie and Joe for their time. I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, feel free to subscribe, rate and review by searching KBB Review in your podcast app of choice. See you next time.